Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "The One Black Stain" by Robert E. Howard. This was first published in the Howard Collector, Spring 1962, and uh, subsequently published in um, a collection of Solomon Kane stories. And then it was adapted to Savage Sword of Conan, issue 62, March 1981. Uh, and that's probably where I first saw it. Um, uh, I, uh, I didn't probably get most of why it was hap- what was happening or anything like that. Um, it's a, a strange for a Solomon Kane story, being a poem, that's part of it. But also, there's virtually no supernatural element, if any. Um, which is also strange, which is probably why it wasn't ever published in Weird Tales or um, any other magazine. But uh, we have uh, this from Microfilm. Apparently it was um, captured uh, from something called the Barlow Microfilm, um, which is the source for a lot of the things that show up in the Howard Collector, which is an early, or I guess, uh, middle uh, Robert E. Howard fanzine except it was more like the official estate publication, uh, full of stories and trivia and letters and such. Um, I know you were familiar with Solomon Cain as a, as a character. I don't think we've ever done a show on a Solomon Cain um, story, because they're pretty long. But um, this is uh, something I didn't know at the time. It's based on a real incident. I had heard of Sir Francis Drake. Um, I knew that he had gone around the world circumnavigating it, or mostly circumnavigating it. And that's about it, about Sir Francis Drake. So I didn't know uh, all the implications this story actually has. Um, And I think we should get into those, but maybe we should read it first. So this raises a really significant question, it seems to me. Provenance matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes we know how to situate something because we can tell from the writing that uh, it's set in lower class, mid-19th century English. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we we can tell things about – but in this case – if one recognizes the historical markers uh, at the beginning of the poem, then one would know certain things, which apparently you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one could. And if one knows anything about uh, Robert E. Howard, one might know something about Solomon Cain, which I imagine other people don't. Mm-hmm. So the question that this raises is um, – we can talk about the poem, but we can only talk about the poem um, by specifying what is and is not expectable knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't know how to specify that, but but let's start it and read it once, um, and maybe just I'll just if you don't mind I'll just read it, mm-hmm. um, and then we can read it or parts of it again. And there there are other reasons to to worry about rereading it as well. So shall we begin? Please. Strange poem. Okay. The One Black Stain. Sir Thomas Doty executed at St. Julian's Bay, 1578. 
They carried him out on the barren sand where the rebel captains died, where the grim gray rotting gibbets stand as Magellan reared them on the strand, and the gulls that haunt the lonesome land wail to the lonely tide. Drake faced them all like a lion at bay with his lion head upflung. Dare ye my word of law defy to say that this traitor shall not die? And his captains dared not meet his eye, but each man held his tongue. Solomon Cain stood forth alone, grim man of a somber race, Worthy of death he well may be, but the court ye held was a mockery. Ye hid your spite in a travesty where justice hid her face. More of the man had ye been, on deck your sword to cleanly draw in forthright fury from its sheath and openly cleave him to the teeth rather than slink and hide beneath a hollow word of law. Hell rose in the eyes of Francis Drake. Puritan knave, swore he. Headsman, give him the axe instead. He shall strike off yon traitor's head. Solomon folded his arms and said, darkly and somberly, I am no slave for your butcher's work. Bind him with triple strands. Drake roared in wrath and the men obeyed. Hesitantly, as men afraid, but Cain moved not as they took his blade and pinioned his iron hands. They bent the doomed man to his knees, the man who was to die. They saw his lips in a strange smile bend. One last long look they saw him send at Drake, his judge and his one-time friend who dared not meet his eye. The axe flashed silver in the sun. A red arch slashed the sand. A voice cried out as the head fell clear and the watchers flinched in sudden fear, though t'was but a seabird wheeling near above the lonely strand. This be every traitor's end, Drake cried. And yet again, slowly his captains turned and went and the admiral's stare was elsewhere bent than where cold scorn with anger blent in the eyes of solomon cain night fell on the crawling waves the admiral's door was closed solomon lay in the stenching hole his irons clashed as the ship rolled and his guard grown weary and overbold laid down his pike and dozed he woke with a hand at his corded throat that gripped him like a vice. Trembling, he yielded up the key, and the somber Puritan stood up free, his cold eyes gleaming murderously with a wrath that is slow to rise. Unseen to the admiral's cabin door went Solomon from the guard. Through the night and silence of the ship, the guard's keen dagger in his grip no man of the dull crew saw him slip in through the door unbarred. Drake at the table sat alone, his face sunk in his hands. He looked up as from sleeping, but his eyes were blank with weeping, as if he saw not creeping death's swiftly flowing sands. He reached no hand for gun or blade to halt the hand of Cain. 
nor even seem to hear or see lost in black mists of memory, love turned to hate and treachery and bitter, cankering pain. A moment Solomon Cain stood there, the dagger poised before, as a condor stoops above a bird, and Francis Drake spoke not nor stirred, and Cain went forth without a word and closed the cabin door. Okay. So one of the things I didn't know about Robert E. Howard when I was first reading him was he didn't really care that much about fantasy as he really cared about history. History was his thing. He wrote a lot of historical stories that didn't get published during his lifetime. He wrote for the market. So he wrote boxing stories because he liked boxing. He wrote uh, detective stories because there was a detective market. He wrote fantasy stories because there was a market. But his true love was history, and it's throughout his fantastic stories. This is a true story. Everything except for Solomon Cain. There's no Solomon Cain in the original, you know, history of this this event. Um, but it speculates as to what is happening uh, between these two characters, Sir Thomas Doughty and Sir Francis Drake. They were friends. They were close friends, as, as far as we know. We have some problems, though. Um, we don't really know exactly what Sir Francis Drake was doing on his voyage circumnavigating the world. It probably was privateering. It may have been spying. It may have been something else. Some of his... his uh, his The details about where he even went are unclear. Uh, this story... Uh, the one we just read, explicitly states the place as being the same place Magellan uh, had had uh, punished some mutineers. And we know where that is. It's in Patagonia. Um, it's uh, Current day Argentina. Yes, current day Argentina. <clears throat> and um, uh, it, it's called out with the, the grim gray rotting gibbets stands as Magellan reared them on the strand. So he's docked on the same, uh, or he's anchored at the same anchorage as Magellan had done decades before. And the same thing is happening. He is executing members of his crew for mutiny, possibly. We don't really know. Um, in the case of Magellan, we, we a lot more people died. Um, but what we do know is Sir Thomas Doughty and... Uh, Sir Francis Drake were very close friends. They went on this expedition together and something went wrong. And so we we show up at the beginning of the story. They carried him out on the barren sand where the rebel captains died. That's, that's Sir Thomas Doughty being carried out. And we find out that something happened on the ship and Solomon Cain says, you... You are a coward. You're hiding behind the law. The law is your shield. It's hiding you from your cowardice. And what's interesting is it, it, it acts as a metaphor in this story. But in reality, uh, this event solidified a kind of practice that 
people still have today, which is captains are the authority on ships up to the point of executing people in some cases because of this incident. It goes back. There's, you know, there's a lot of uh, sea law, but the, the precedence for this particular um, idea that the captain's word is law on a ship comes uh, most specifically from this particular incident. Now, what I think that means is uh, for Howard is that he's always que- uh, in his other writings. He's always questioning the authority of civilization, and he's always reverting back to what is a man's duty, what is uh, what is the truth of the situation, and not what 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 does the bureaucr- bureaucracy demand. And so when. Uh, Solomon Kane goes to possibly kill Sir Francis Drake near the end of this story, and he sees the man in his cabin, face in hands, and we get a, a peek inside his head. We end up seeing that he isn't punished by Solomon Kane. Solomon Kane close, turns and closes the door. And leaves him there. Now, he has to do that because that's what, how the history happened. But I think what happened when Robert E. Howard read about this incident is he said, what was the emotion going on and what was the justice? And so at the end of the story, Sir Francis Drake, I'll just read that again. Uh, Nor even seemed to hear or see lost in the black mists of memory, Love turned to hate and treachery and bitter, cankering pain. A moment Solomon Cain stood there, the dagger poised before, as a condor stoops above a bird, and Francis Drake spoke not nor stirred, and Cain went forth without a word and closed the cabin door. So if, if, you're, if you're not 100% clear, maybe you thought uh, he did kill him? <laughs> but uh, it doesn't say that. In, in, instead, uh, and since we know Sir Francis Drake survived this incident, we know that he's left him to be punished by himself and the knowledge that he is a coward and that he's murdered his friend. It's a very powerful incident, par- very powerful emotional and almost philosophical poem. I agree. I'd like to to add to what you're saying a couple of things, at least. One is that um, it is historically inaccurate to refer to the admiral who's leading a bunch of ships. So that's why there's more than one captain Mm -hmm. to refer to the admiral as Sir Francis Drake. Drake was not. He didn't have a hereditary peerage. He had a life peerage, and it was conferred by Elizabeth in 1581, Mm -hmm. three years after this. Mm -hmm. He is just Francis Drake here. I mean, he's Admiral Francis Drake. Mm -hmm. But while he was, in fact, a a good friend of um, Sir Thomas Doughty, Sir Thomas Doughty outranked him Mm -hmm. socially. One of the reasons this is so important is that the incident doesn't merely establish the idea that a captain is the law on his own vessel, but he is a he is the law regardless of other social um, credentials. 
So he is the absolute law on his on his own uh, ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would not have been possible for a commoner to sit in judgment over someone in the peerage. That's the whole idea of you know being judged by a jury of your peers. Right. So what happens here is something to do with class structure. And if uh, Howard supposes that the the key he gives us, Sir Thomas Doughty, executed at St. Julian's Bay, 1578, if he supposes that that key will get us to turn back to the historical incident, then we can realize that there's something here about different classes. Now, Solomon Cain is a Puritan. Yep. Which in 1578 means that he is himself of a lower class. Um, he has lower social credentials. Um, this is before Cromwell, you know, the uprising where the mm-hmm. Puritans take over. And uh, I think the, the class structure is quite important, but the class structure, in as much as it involves Solomon Cain, has to do with religious things. And so I would like to suggest that. Um, Howard could have written this story, this this poem, this story in, in verse, um, and made up any character he wanted. I mean, he, after all, not only made up Solomon Cain, he made up Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he, he could make up whatever he wanted. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He could have made up, this could have been a one-off. As you said, it's an unusual piece for, for Howard. He could have just made up a character. He made he use of Solomon Cain. Oh, yeah. What a great name. It is so one Solomon, of the greatest names ever for a character ever. Right? Indeed. So Solomon means wise. So whatever it is that he is doing here, we're, we're on his side, right? Um, he put His hands are put in manacles, and yet he has iron hands. Right. Uh, he, is, he is a match for the, the government around him, as you said. Howard, always questioning authority. But Cain, no, I, I would remind uh, us that in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother. I mean, presumably like a good friend. You know, they were pretty close. As, they were brothers. As Drake, as Drake and Doty were, exactly. Mm-hmm. He kills his brother out of jealousy because God finds favor in Abel's live sacri- sacrifice of a sheep his burnt offering, whereas Cain is just a farmer. So when this is discovered, he cries out to God and says, every man will want to kill me. And what God does is put the mark of Cain, right? He marks his forehead so that people will know that Cain is under God's protection. He's not rewarding Cain for having killed his brother, he is ensuring that he will forever be recognized and shunned, mm-hmm. but not killed. So when Solomon Cain goes in to that cabin and sees that Drake is weeping, we are getting an echo of the story of Cain and Abel. So it seems to me that that Howard is giving us at least three different things here. Mm-hmm. He's giving us an historical story and connecting it with historical development, you know, putting it back on Magellan's strand as well. He's giving us an historical story. He's giving us a 
a class-based analysis of the problems with authority, and he's giving us a psychodrama that is um, grounded in biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. And he gets all of that into a poem that actually reads well. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And I never think of Howard as a poet at all. Oh, he he thought of himself as a poet first. He was always... Poet, poet, poeticizing, you know, <laughs> um, and his imagery in his prose is so beautiful, and it's the same here, right? Every at every point when something can be described, uh, I always think of uh, Howard as the color man. <laughs> he always has color, T- colors Indeed. in his titles, colors in his in his sentences, colors in his actions. The scarlet stain that hits the hits the uh, the the arc of scarlet that hits the sand, um, beautiful. And then, of course, there's the title, the one black stain. Now, the thing is, there is no black stain in the story, right? There's no uh, deck that has a black stain that's mysterious, and we find out what caused it. This is a metaphor unto itself. Whose one black stain is it? Uh, was it that of Sir Thomas Doughty's? Probably not. <laughs> Sir Francis Drake, this lauded hero who, you know, gets knighted for his his bold uh, circumnavigation of the earth and his his raiding of the Spanish treasure fleets, right? Wow, is it the one black stain on his record that he he solidified some horror horror of ultimate justice of authority uh, in that of a, cap- a ship's captain. One of, one of the really cool things about Solomon Cain as a character, and this shows up in all the stories, and I hadn't thought about it in this one until, you know, just now, um, is that Solomon Cain thinks of himself as the hand of God. It's in that name, right? Solomon is the wisdom, and the Cain is the violence. And Solomon Cain treads the earth, always seeking to redress the wrongs of the earth. He is there to to kill the evil. Uh, one of the great ways of reading Solomon Cain as a character, and it's not so much in here, uh, is that he's literally insane. <laughs> he, uh-huh. be- he believes that God speaks to him and that he is God's vengeance upon the earth. His, the hand of God meeting out wisdom and justice. Uh, and the justice is done through pistol and sword. And wherever he goes, he finds these uh, these uh, supernatural creatures that need to be murdered. And if you read it subversively, this is like uh, the religious mania of his purit- puritanical character. Robert E. Howard was not a religious man. He was very interested in the Bible and knew it backwards and forwards. But he was not a religious man, and so creating this very religious person, he is inviting us to read it subversively. And I love that it works so well in this particular story because at the end, he goes there to deliver justice, God's justice. He, he is saying early on in the dialogue, he's saying, Worthy of death he well may be, but the court ye held was a mockery. Uh, The shipboard trial was a mockery? Okay. But actually, 
he I think this is extendable up to God is the ultimate judge and you are not his judge is what he's saying ye hid your your spite in a travesty where justice hid her face and justice is capitalized this idea of hiding the face comes back at the end when we see Sir Francis Drake face in hands hiding not Sir Francis Drake Francis Drake. You're right. We see him face in hands, ashamed at what he's done. Justice hid her face, and he hides his face because of the shame of what he's done. It's, uh, it is the black stain, I think, of the title. Well, I, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that, but it seems to me that you're tr- giving us a lot of different things that could be the black stain, that, that Doty's alleged witchcraft and mutiny, for which he was, uh, ex- presumably that's why he was, at least nominally that's why he was executed, uh, that's a, a black stain on Doty, mm-hmm. who previously had not been an unworthy person. Killing a friend is a, is a stain on uh, on the, the record of an otherwise extraordinary a uh, servant of the crown. Right. Um, but it could also be that the one black stain is the mark of Cain. It's true. Right. That by walking out and letting him live, um, when Solomon Cain sees Drake, feels so horrible, um, he realizes that living is going to be an enduring punishment for him. And the mark of Cain is delivered again that Drake will be forever protected. And in fact, historically, he was, because the law affirmed the righteousness of his uh, judgment and execution. So it's a, it's a very clever story. Uh, I, I'd like to point out something else. Um, the, the verse form is quite unusual. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, um, the way... It's in it's in stanzas, as you know. Uh, we've both read it several times. Uh, the stanzas are three lines long, with the uh, last word of the first and third line rhyming. Mm-hmm. But within the the the, lo- the lines, which are long, there are internal rhymes. Mm-hmm. So it begins. Um, and and l- let me. So if you if you read this as as it's written. The first stanza goes thus. They carried him out on the barren sand where the rebel captains died, where the grim gray rotting gibbets stand as Magellan reared them on the strand, and the gulls that haunt the lonesome land wail to the lonely tide. Mm. But if you catch up on those internal rhymes, it's almost as if this were written in six lines and goes... They carried him out on the barren sand where the rebel captains died, where the grim gray rutting gibbets stand as Magellan reared them on the strand and the gulls that haunt the lonesome land wail to the lonely tide. And that becomes an A-B-A-A, it's an A-B-A-A-A-A-B rhyme scheme. So that the second rhyme word and the last rhyme word, there's the second and the and the the sixth rhyme together, and all the others are you know the 
uh, uh, me, are rhyme together as well. So it's a it's a delayed sense of closure. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want us to see it that way. He's arranged it on the page so that we, we the eye reads past the the rhyme, mm-hmm. but the ear, if you read it aloud, does not. It seems to me that looking at history, one could say, I think I mean this only metaphorically, but I don't know, Jesse, one could look at history and say, ah, this event, the execution of Sir France, uh, Sir Thomas Doughty, the execution of the mutineers by Magellan, one could say in history, this event rhymes with that event. Yeah. Right. And just it just rhymes. But one could also say at a deeper internal level, humanly, emotionally, much, much more is rhyming than the mere outlines of history. And you know, if you just read the, 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 the rhyme words from the ends of the first and third lines, it looks so simple. Died, tied, upflung, un, upflung tongue, race, face, mm-hmm. draw, law. Right? It just it seems simple if you just read it fast. Mm-hmm. If you read it slow, it becomes deep. It does. And he gives us both of those. Using the visual not simply as a as a way of getting the the poem out, but as a way of giving two readings of the poem, sort of shuttling back and forth in our minds desperately as we go through. It's a very very clever construction. Hundred percent. That um, I was mentioning at the beginning that there was no uh, supernatural element uh, really to the story. Um, but the characters don't know that. At a certain point, uh, the axe flashes silver in the sun. A red arch slashed the sand. A voice cried out as the head fell clear, and the watchers flinched in sudden fear. Though twas but a seabird wheeling near above the lonely strand. They lo- all look like- up, and the voice comes from above. It's, it's, um, it's what they fear, and the fact that... Uh, part of the accusation that we hear about what Sir Thomas Doughty had done is that he was practicing witchcraft. I mean, <laughs> this is a yeah. strange time, Eric, uh, that, that, that people could be accused legitimately of practicing witchcraft uh, and have other people say, you know, it happens. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's, it's rather crazy. And yet it was a thing that people did. And uh, uh, later on in the voyage, the ship's chaplain, this is not in our version of this, uh, the story, the ship's chaplain um, suggested the problems that they were having uh, later on in the voyage, circumnavigation is no joke, right? Uh, mm-hmm. were, were caused by the execution of Doughty, and Drake chained him up. And uh, it said he had been excommunicated. The, you, he, execu- he excommunicated the, the representative god on the ship. This is <laughs> a very powerful idea of taking God's authority. The, when you kill someone, you are taking God's authority is, is what's going on here. And that's why Sir Francis Drake is really the only person – sorry – 
uh, Solomon Cain uh-huh. is really the only person who could have been a, you know, a, a, he could have made a character for in for all we know this is the first uh Solomon Cain story. We don't know uh when it was written. But what we do know is that that hand of God is not uh is not gentle. And when he fails to kill the man he is going to kill at the end of the story, it's it's not out of mercy. It's the same act that God did to Cain, right? It's kind of a punishment and uh, a, an object lesson. And uh, it's, it, it is a statement, I think, on Robert E. Howard's behalf of, of this taking, taking the law into your hands and saying, I am the law. This is a problem. Howard, of course, took his own life by his own hand Indeed. in 1936. This could conceptually, in fact, be the first Solomon Cain uh, text, uh, but we don't know when it was written. What we do know for sure is it was written before 1936. Yep. And I've got to say, I'm so glad that you brought it to my attention because not only did I not know about this poem— I didn't know about the incident with Sir Thomas Doughty before I tried to learn more about what would make this poem significant. And here we are, having read it multiple times, having resurrected history, mythology, psychology, and Howard is proving yet again, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.